Welcome to Permaculture Freedom Podcast. My name is Cody and I'm your host. This is a show about cultivating freedom in our lives so we can be our best self. Freedom to live a beautiful, regenerative lifestyle that inspires our families, our friends, and our community. To transform our lives and reconnect to nature within. It's a revival of our roots. Roots that run deep into the earth. We were born for this time. We were born for this time. Thanks for joining me on this beautiful journey. Thanks for showing up. Thank you so much, Natasha, for joining me to share about yourself and your journey. Uh, I'd love to just get started and have you tell the audience about yourself. Who are you and what do you like to do? All right. Um, So uh, I, you know, we all have our names that like I'm Natasha Simeon. That's my name. But when I think of who I am, the, uh, about a decade ago, I came up, I I got sick and I thought I was going to die and then I didn't. And I decided I wanted to live life to be who I was made to be and who I am. And um, my name for myself, because, you know, like on all those different uh, websites and stuff, you have to have a name that's not your name. And so my moniker uh, that I gave myself, which kind of was like discovering my name, is um, Creation Keeper. Um, Because as I was going through figuring out who I am, and I guess it started off as kind of a career thing of like, what do I want to do with my life now that I didn't die and now that I'm still here? Um, and so I, I sat down to write out not my skill set and not what I was trained to do in education or the jobs I had done and had experience in, but who I was. And my list was pretty short. And my list was I like to raise animals, grow plants, build things, and fix things and repair things and maintain things. Mm-hmm. And um, that was my list. Like, that's, that was the extent of my list. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the list was being not, not, not unpractical, but you know, outside of money and, and everything, what, who am I? And that was my list. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, like, that's what my grandpa did. My grandpa was a farmer and my grandma was a farmer. Mm-hmm. And um, so I decided that that was going to be a part of who I was, even if it wasn't my job. Um, it was going to be a part of who I was. And that's, that's why Creation Keeper came up because I do feel like we all have a duty to care for creation, but personally, cause I can't take on the whole world's job, but personally, I feel like it's my job to care for creation. And that means the, the animals and the plants and the people. Um, and so that's, that's who I feel like I am. And that's why I call myself Creation Keeper. Can you tell us a little bit more about your farm and, and your homestead where you and your family live? Yeah, so um, we started off in uh, the cities um, and started urban farming. And my dad, four years ago, bought a farm in Polk County over near Amory. And he bought it for us to rent from him. And so that's, that's where we're located now. And it is, is 40, it's, it's like... When we saw it, it was, I thought it was the most, and I still do, it's, it's the most beautiful place on earth to me. 
Um, it's 40 acres of open land and 40 acres of woods, and we're surrounded by um, rolling hills and woods from you know, the neighbor's properties, which are hunting properties, and most of them are organic hay fields um, that somebody else grows hay on. So that's, that's our farm. Um, what we grow and raise, uh, it, I, we've only been there four years and we've kind of gone through different hats and different, like different dynamics trying to make everything work. Um, and where we're at right now is we have a field of elderberries and currants and those plants are there for, um, for nursery production and berry production. And we have, livestock-wise, for production, we have Katahdin sheep. They're a heritage breed of sheep. And we have, that's, that's actually the only livestock we have right now for production, just because our off-farm jobs are taking a lot of time right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to have, to, to, to make, if <laughs> you're going to work hard to have a farm, for me, what makes it enjoyable is having livestock around. So we also have a couple horses and a goat, and livestock guardian dogs, and chickens, and some guinea hens, and just two ducks. The fox kind of got our ducks this last year. We normally have more, but, but that's what we have. Um, so that's, that's what we have going on right now. It's subject to change at any moment, but the kind of basic thing is to have uh, the perennial crops, which emphasizes on the elderberries, and a grazing livestock Mm-hmm. which has ended up being sheep only because they're the only animal that can't outsmart me and get out of the fence. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it ends up being. Mm. Well, I, I love the way you described it's, you know, the most beautiful place on earth for you. I mean, I, I feel that too about where I've grown up and just having that, that love for where you call home. And I'd, I'd love to know more just like what, what do you really love about that land or about the farm and the things going on? What, what really makes it for you? Um, you know, it's kind of funny. The thing that makes it for me is also the thing that's proving to be a, the, has proven to be a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. It's away from the cities. Mm-hmm. It's um, just far enough to be the edge. And, you know, you're in, it's an hour, it's an hour and 10 minutes from the door of the farm, like our house, farmhouse, to the door of our office, which is right down near downtown St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, everything I go to is an hour and a half. I don't mind the time, the, um, the wear and tear in the car and the gas, that gets a little challenging, but that's also what I, like I said, what I love about it most of the time, unless I'm super tired, most of the time driving in, I'm like, oh my gosh, this takes forever. But driving home as I leave, I leave the traffic and I leave the congestion and I take that time to drive on the highway that there's not a lot of people. By the time I get home, it's so worth it. And especially when it's summer and I can see the stars and, um, I've seen the Northern lights. Oh, that's, that's, I, I, I love that it's far away from the cities. I don't want it to be closer to the cities. I don't want the cities to move out to us. Um, <laughs> because I really appreciate that. And so that's, that's kind of like the location why I love the general location, the specific farm. Um, it, it really is. I can look out any window in my house or when I'm outside I can look and see land and see trees and see animals and see birds flying overhead and hear animals. And mm-hmm. it just grounds me. Um, and I really appreciate that because I didn't grow up in the country. I grew up in the suburbs and I lived in the city mm-hmm. and to be able to be outside 
and just feel at peace is an amazing feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Sanctuary. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So what, what was it that got you started with, you know, not only the urban farm that you lived at before, but also that, that move to kind of leave the city and, and move to where you are now? Um, <laughs> probably, well, we lived in St. Paul and we had a uh, hundred hay bale or I'm sorry, hundred straw bales um, doing straw bale gardening and doing production for a farmer's market. Mm-hmm. Um, we started off a long time ago. Um, we started off with Caternix quail actually, because they, uh, I studied that Caternix quail were probably the easiest uh, source of protein and egg. And they are quick, and it was something that the kids could be involved in. And then um, then we also got rabbits because I had a daughter that really liked rabbits. And then we got chickens because why wouldn't you get chickens? They're awesome. Um, and then my other daughter liked ducks, and so we got ducks. And then we got bees because my husband wanted to get involved and try bees. And then I really wanted some goats, and I had a chance to get some goats. So that's all animals we had in the city. And while it was... Um, wonderful to be able to do that. And especially, especially what I do miss is being able to reach inner city kids. Mm-hmm. Um, that these are, these are a lot of the kids on the East side. Um, they've come from Chicago. They've never lived not on concrete or blacktop and to see their fascination with animals, um, and to be able to have them interact and pick food, like come in the backyard and pick food. It was, it was a wonderful thing. Um, however, that being said, there was also challenges. We had animals killed. We had crops destroyed. Uh, there's a, just, there's the people that loved and appreciated what we were doing. There was the other people who didn't love and appreciate what we were doing. And it just got, I felt like we, we, I desired, you know, I think I would have kept doing it if it wasn't in me. I'm not, I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. And I was running thin. I was running very thin on it on, on always having people around, always having people be watching me or interacting with me. And, um, so when my dad provided that opportunity, uh, I was, I was thrilled to do it, um, and be able to be out in the country, but I do miss being able to interact with people who have no idea where food comes and, and especially just kids. Cause they are so open and they're so curious. Um, it's, it's just sad to realize how many people really don't understand about food and about uh, what our role is in producing food. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too. I mean, speaking of the kids that got to connect, it's like even more so than like plants and, and gardening, having all those different types of animals there, in an urban environment, you know, like that, that provided such a stronger, I think, opportunity for, for kids to connect different, you know, cause they're just so much more interactive than just like plants or, you know, gardening oh, yeah. approaches to urban farming. Right. Oh yeah. Everybody, it was the plant, it was the animals that people came for. I mean, you know, kids would like, once they were there, they would start interacting with the plants, but truly, I mean, every kid is drawn to animals. Right. Most every kid. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's what you don't have to ask them to come. Like mm-hmm. you kind of can't keep them away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to interact. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I can just hear it in your voice too. It's like that connection that, that I know that just knowing you, that you have to animals you and seeing that, how gratifying that must've been for you to see not only just your kids and how they kind of were the driver for having a lot of these animals, but for, to, you know, basically share it with all these people that might never have access to that. Oh yeah. A lot of those kids live in apartments. They, they can't have animals. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe a fish. Yeah. Um, but it is, I mean, I, in high school, my, um, I was in 4-H and my extension agent, um, at the, at the, she started, uh, at the time it was a novel concept. Um, now it's more common, but it, you know, back, back in the eighties, she started a visiting pet program and it was called warm hearts, cold noses. Mm-hmm. And we, we, I didn't have, I wasn't allowed to have pets as a kid. <laughs> um, and so I got to borrow her dog and her dog was a Russian wolfhound and, we had the animals. There was mostly dogs. Now it's it expanded more, but it was mostly dogs. And the dogs went through training, and the people went through training. And we took the animals to nursing homes and um, domestic abuse shelters. And it, even though I was terrified, I was a really shy kid. Um, when it came to something I was comfortable about and loved. I had no problem because the dog was there with me. Like it was, even though we were, I was going in, I chose to, like, I was fine because the dog was there with me, yeah. but, um, so the dog supported me, yep. but then the dog, like the, the old, you know, the elderly people would lay in their bed and, and pet the dog and talk to me about their dog, Rocky and how amazing their dog was. And then <laughs> at the, at the domestic abuse shelters, you know, the kids, they, they had to leave, they had to leave their animals when they left. Most of them left in a hurry, in a moment, and they left everything behind. And just to have an animal, you know, I mean, I know when I was, when I was a little kid, I had a dog and that was who I went to with my problems because they're just there and they love you. And, and just those kids would just hug the dog and, and we wouldn't have to talk. They would just hold the dog. And that's, those are people, you know, stuck in a nursing home or, or, you know, in a shelter, but every person, we, we, I think we're just designed to have that sense of yeah. a connection to animals. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's interesting to hear that story. Cause I didn't know that about you with the connection with 4-H and what, what was the dog? It was a Russian wolfhound you said? Oh uh, yeah. A Borzoi, a Russian wolfhound. And so he was the perfect, they're, they're tall. They're kind of like Irish wolfhounds, but they're like, like the, like an Irish wolfhound, but with like a a greyhound body. And he was the perfect dog because he was, he was super mellow and his head would lay on people's, on their, on their beds or across their wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, I I did 4-H, my, my extension agent, she was just, (laughs) life wasn't always easy at home. And there's these certain people that were there for me Mm -hmm. and, um, just gave me an outlet and, 4-H was a great way because I was a uh, suburbs kid Mm -hmm. in 4-H, all my friends were country kids. And so Mm -hmm. I got to be around people that had animals and I got to go to the barns and, um, it was a way to try. And then one year I actually, I did a poultry quiz bowl. It's, it's like a quiz bowl for, for poultry. (laughs) And, um, I, my, I got, I told my mom, if, if we make it to nationals, can I get chickens? And she said yes, because she didn't believe we would. Um, and we couldn't have chickens. We were in the metro area in the uh-huh. suburb. Nope. But we did. Our team made it to nationals. 
And I was like, okay, mom, I'm getting like, like, I was like, you promised chickens. I get my chickens now. And she was like, well, we can't have chickens. Like that's not allowed. And so she let me get, um, Katernix quail. Um, and so then I had, those are, that was my version of chickens. And so (laughs) I felt like a little farmer, right? Because my, my grandparents were farmers and I got there as much as I could. Um, and I turned, my mom let me take parts of our yard. Um, and it was a kid, it, it felt like a big, big area. And it felt like I had my own field. It wasn't really my own field. It was like 10 feet by 15 feet, Yeah. but I got to cultivate the ground and then I got to have my little Caternix quail. Mm-hmm. And, um, I felt like I was a farmer in my own little, in my head. <laughs> it sounds like you were. I, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably on a very manageable scale. Yeah. Well, that's, that's for a, a child. Start. Yeah. And it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so cool to hear that your, your parents or your mom was so supportive of that too. Oh yeah. She, I mean, she, she was the one, like she just had a lot going on. My dad's always loved animals mm-hmm. and that's just been, been his thing. And I, and I think I got that from her mm-hmm. or from my, my dad, but my mom, my mom likes him too. She just, she had a lot on her plate and she didn't need the extra work. Yeah. And she claims she's allergic, but no, she probably, she has some allergies. So I don't, at the time I didn't get it as a kid. I was like, that's just mean. You're depriving me of this. But now I actually really get like, yeah. she had, now that I'm growing and have my own kids and it, you get a, she had a lot on her plate. Like, yeah. She did the best she could with what she had. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, you know, just from being around your farm, it, it sounds like you've carried that tradition forward because you talk about your kids having full responsibility for the animals on the farm oh yeah and they'll tell you they do Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and and you know it's it's interesting because they um they they've had exposure you know you you grow up in life and when they're younger you can kind of keep them with who you want to keep them with and Mm -hmm. and you know everybody chooses people who are like-minded to them whatever that is but then they get older and they kind of explore and they get their own friends and they come home and they're like, mom, like, wait a second. Like my friend, like they get money every month or every week for fixing your bed and they don't have to do this and they don't have to do that. And it's not fair. And, and I, we're my, all, all the kids are teenagers right now. So right now we're at that point where they, they feel like they do a lot and, and maybe by some standards they do do a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, anybody would tell them. And I think that they know they are pretty darn entitled, like, and that, and maybe entitled is the wrong word. They, they have so much, like Mm -hmm. my daughters each have a horse and they can go out horseback riding and they can go out and play in the field. Mm -hmm. Um, and as they've gotten older and gone to work for other people, um, the reports I keep getting back from people are, Oh my gosh, they're so responsible and they do what they're told. I don't have to stand over them. Um, so as much as right now things are challenging cause they're teenagers, at least inside, when I get those reports from people, I'm like, okay, I did something right. Like yeah. a core value for me was to have my children be people of character and responsible and kind. And I hear back reports that they're that way, even if it's not always that way at home, they are that, that way. And, um, I know it's worth it. And when we lived in, we lived in South Carolina for a while and a lady I worked with, her husband was a cop and I got a really interesting insight into the, the farming. They, they called it the Midwest, but really it's, it is an agricultural background because the Midwest has been historically agricultural until the, you know, until the last generation or two. Mm-hmm. And she said that they have a carte blanche opening, like 
they do interviews for, for cops, but um, their number one thing they looked for is a, was a cop from the Midwest, it was somebody who was raised in the Midwest on a farm. Because she said that that sergeant was like, we know that if a person was raised on a farm, they're going to have, have a good work ethic. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that comes, whatever scale you're doing farming on, whether you're doing it vertical gardening in your basement mm-hmm. or whatever, when you have an animal to take care of, when you have a crop to take care of, when there are things that have to get done at a certain time or you're going to have total loss of all your work, it does build responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that Midwest work ethic is a thing. When, yeah. uh, when uh, Megan and I lived out on the West Coast for a while, people talked about it out there too when we were out working in the farm like it was really funny hearing people from the west coast talk about that, that right was- you're like hey i'm the top employee <laughs> exactly and i'm just doing what's normal yeah exactly yeah and because i think it i mean you know we can there's there's always challenges and technology brings challenges but when i hear the stories of talking to older people or talking to my grandparents or even hearing my mom my mom was raised on on a farm mm-hmm. to hear what they had to do, like just to make, just to make things work, just to get through the winter alive. Yeah. It's, it, it is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. makes me question why I stay here mm-hmm. in the winter now, but it, it, attached to farm nowadays. It's not something like, you know, a generation ago or two generations ago, you farmed because that's what the country needed. And I still would argue that the country needs farmers. I just think that the, that we don't realize it. Yeah. Um, but when people choose to be a farmer or whatever the word is, maybe you know, to, to choose to be involved in agriculture today, it's a lot of work. And you don't get the financial compensation usually yeah. for the work you put into it. So people are doing it because it's who they are. Yeah. And... Yeah. It's, it's just who you are. That's why you do it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and there's, there's a really strong movement of folks that are maybe similar to, to your background, too, that grew up in the suburbs or even the city that are moving to the country and, and trying to, to learn the way, right? Yeah. And yeah. D- didn't necessarily grow up with, you know, that, that, that strong work ethic of being on a farm day in, day out through an entire season you know, and through the winter too, and all the work that goes into it. Yeah. (laughs) And there's a steep learning curve. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's a really steep learning curve. Yeah. And it's, I've, I've talked to my mom, like, so my, my mom came from farmers. Everybody was, you know, even if there were people that had, there's a lot of medical and a lot of teachers, but majority farmers. And my mom grew up on the farm. And I remember when we were first starting to do things, I was like, mom, how did y'all do this? And she's like, I don't remember because my mom wanted to get out of the farm as soon as she could. Yeah. Like she was 18, she was gone. Yeah. And to realize there was a lot of information that, that was passed down, passed down, passed down. And because that generation moved to the cities, it doesn't, it doesn't somehow, it doesn't like, it, it's not intrinsic, right? It's not in your DNA to know how to do things it's, and, and, and how the cycles work and when to plant and, and how to do something. Yeah. Um, and that, that information was lost from that generation, I think, in a lot of ways. However, thankfully, um, with all of its horrible things, like the Internet is a two-edged sword, but what it has done is, like, where my mom grew up slaughtering chickens and no one had a teacher, and, in fact, she's, like, blocked it from her mind. She doesn't want to know how to do it anymore. I'm sure she <laughs> could if she had to. Like, the first time we went to slaughter out our chickens, 
or the, a pig or the cow. We had YouTube on and we watched, the, we found a video that we liked. We watched the video, watched it twice. We'd play it, pause it, put our gloves on, run outside, do our thing, come in, take our gloves off, play it, pause it. Um, so I'm so thankful that that information is out there and that people put it, you know, there is this whole, like you said, there's this movement of people that didn't grow up with this. They're learning the skills and then they're feeling compelled to say, okay, I just learned this. I'm going to, I'm going to tape it and I'm going to put it out there for the whole world to see and to, and to learn it. So that's, that's kind of been a huge, YouTube has been a huge source for me of of information. Yeah, Um, totally. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. 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 yeah, This is that, that story makes me, think of just this this concept of you know like that's a really good example you know if you're one step ahead of somebody else in something you can teach them something and I think that's the power of you know something like YouTube or just the internet that we can share these things through experience yeah Yeah. and people want to like they're not having to get they're not getting paid to it's you know it's they're putting some effort they're having to put put effort in to do it but that they're just out of a love for it and of a love for having other people learn it so that the next person's learning curve isn't so high. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it just, I think it comes with the territory of, of, of modern agriculture. Yeah, definitely. What are, what are some other skills or experience you've needed to, to cultivate? to <sighs> Oh, wow. Um, honestly, the skill of the, the, the hardest skill for me, just because it's me, the hardest skill for me has been um, when you have livestock, you're going to lose them sometimes. Mm-hmm. And despite doing your best effort, despite trying to, to take, they're just, they're going to die. And I used to get really heartbroken when an animal died. I mean, it would, like, I would seriously grieve and yeah. be hurting and in pain inside. And something I noticed the other day when an animal died, I still am sad. Like it, it is still something that happens. Um, and I still don't like, I don't do the majority of the slaughtering. I don't do, I, 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 I don't want to. I, and other people are willing to do it. It doesn't bother them. So I, I let other people do it. I even sometimes outsource it. Um, but I do realize that something I've learned, I guess it's not a skill, but something that has had to change in me is to not let myself get so upset to truly understand that there is a life cycle out there and, you know, some of the animals, when you raise them, you want to give them a good life. Like, I think for me, when you're raising an animal for, you know, you're raising the animal for me. Like, you're raising it for something. You're not just raising it. And, you know, some animals you raise for their eggs. And some animals you raise for their milk. And some animals you raise for their meat. And so I don't have a problem because I, I know that that animal will have a good life during its lifetime. Mm-hmm. And and when it comes slaughter time, it is, hence it's quick, it's quick and it's over. Um so I, I had to come to terms with that, and I came to terms with that quickly because it's part of it's part of what it's for. But the thing that took me a while was just understanding that sometimes animals, sometimes people, die before their time, and yeah. and I just had to I had to accept that as a part of if this is what I'm because there's been a couple there's been, this house, quite honestly there's been more than a couple times that I was ready to throw in the towel on the animals. And, and I got rid of all the animals because I said, I, I just can't do this. I can't, I can't grieve anymore. But then there was such a hole. It wasn't even that the system was broken because when you don't have the animals there now, now, like if they're part of the system and they're, 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 they're taking from the land and they're changing it and better and they're putting their manure and their urine back on. And they're, they're a part of the system. And, but I, I just, 
I couldn't handle the pain. And, um, but what I realized when they were gone is that it, it wasn't, I wasn't complete and I wasn't whole. And then part of me is like, why the heck am I driving so long to get to work (laughs) so long to be somewhere that when one of, I guess really looking back, one of my compelling reasons to be in the country is that I had maxed out, like even the goats are a little too much for the city. I had maxed out on the, on the bigness of animals I could have. And you can, you can have little animals and do a lot, but it's kind of intense. And when you're out in the country, you can have the bigger animals and have it on a larger scale. That's actually easier than having it on a smaller scale. Mm -hmm. Um, just because you have to manage them so much more, um, on a, on a small scale. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's, that was a big skill for me is just having to, to accept that this is, if you're going to deal with live things, then sometimes there's going to be loss. And then also, I guess in regards to crops, um, sometimes you can do everything and you still lose your crop. Um, and that's actually why I love, I love perennial, perennial crops because like I, this last fall, my husband's been sick uh, for a few months, more than since summer. And I didn't harvest one elderberry, literally like not one from my field. They were there and I didn't harvest them, but because they're perennials, um, my plants, are, I, I don't have a crop. I don't have any elderberry syrup to use or to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, but my plants are still there. And next year, I mean, I'll be able to take my cuttings and the berries will be there. So I, that, that's, a, that's a proponent there for a permaculture, right? And perennial mm-hmm. crops. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I guess just the other skill is learning to let go. Um, I'm the kind of person that at the end of the day, I want nothing left in my inbox. And when it comes to farming, to agriculture, you're always going to have something in your inbox. Mm-hmm. And there's always going to be something coming up and there's always going to be unexpected and the weather's going to throw you. And, um, you just can't let it get you worked up. (laughs) (laughs) Ruffle your feathers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, there was, there was a lot in that answer that I'd love to pick apart and maybe we can get to some of that. But, um, one thing that came up was you talked about permaculture and I'd love to just touch on that. Um, you've been a a part of the local food scene in the twin cities for, for quite a while and, and connection to permaculture too. And I'd love to just hear what does it mean to you and how you approach your lifestyle? Okay. So there's a lot of things in my life that I, I end up just thinking about, I like to think about things. And so I think about things and I, and I research and I can come to a conclusion and I say, okay, this is what I believe. And that was how permaculture was, where I didn't even go out looking for what is permaculture? Do I like it? I just started thinking about how I think things look and what made sense to me. And it was kind of like I was doing permaculture. Actually, I know I was. I was doing permaculture before I knew that there was a word permaculture. Yeah. Um, because to me, it just makes the most sense that things should be resilient. It makes the most sense that things should be closed systems and not have inputs. Um, I used to say it's lazy farming, but I truly, I think that's, that, that gives the wrong impression. It's not lazy. It's, there's, I don't think to me that, I guess to me, this is my own unofficial definition. It's, it's working with nature instead of against it. It's working with the nature, nature itself. It's working with the nature of an animal. It's working with the nature of a plant 
Um, and it's doing things that make the most sense. And it's not about being lazy. It's about doing less input yeah. on something and being the most efficient as possible so that you have energy for other things. Because in our life nowadays, there's a lot that's expected of us. Like, I would love to only farm and to have, like, that be the only thing that I have to do in life. But it's not. It's not that way. And great. If, if it is for people, that's great. But um, I have our farm. I have a farm job. And... I, I want things to be as efficient as possible so that at the end of the day, I feel like, hey, I, everything I did had a maximum return on my investment. And I'm not like, I am not a business person. I don't want to be. I hate business. I, I actually hate money. And, but the reality is life is that way. And there's only so much time in the day. And there's only so many dollars in the checkbook. Yeah. And permaculture makes sense to me because it's efficient Permaculture makes sense to me because it has a heart to it. Like when you're taking care of the earth and you're taking care of others and you know, you're caring, what is care for the earth, care for the people, give it, give your fair, you know, take your fair share and give your fair share. That just makes sense. And at the end of the day, I am comfortable with who I am and what I did by following that principle. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Where do, where do you feel like, you know, those, you mentioned three ethics. Um, people care, fair share. And some of the stuff that you were speaking to kind of relates to, you know, the efficiency of, you know, producing no waste in our actions and, and also waste in our energy and our time, you know, where we're investing all these different forms of capital um, and working with nature. And I think that kind of relates back to what you were saying about, you know, you said you used to say it was lazy farming. It's just another way of thinking about it is like, it, yeah, you're not wasting all this energy trying to change so much about a thing, a system, a plant, an animal, whatever it might be, a person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, you're working with them because if it's their nature, if it's a plant's nature to be a way and if it's an animal's nature to be a certain way, you're going to constantly be working against it. Yeah. And, and, and why not work with it? It just, it just makes the most sense. And then the animal's happy. And if the animal's happy, they're healthier. And, and it just makes, it just makes sense. It, it seems really, even though traditional farming, you know, I guess the word is conventional, right? Conventional farming only is conventional farming. It hasn't, it really isn't. I mean, if you go back not too long, that the way that we, not, not you and I, but the way that conventional farming is done nowadays, it wasn't conventional. What we are doing was conventional mm-hmm. because it had to be because they didn't have the big infrastructures. Like they had to do what was the most efficient and effective or else they starved. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's a great segue into the next thing I wanted to talk about, and that's diversity. So, you know, a core concept in permaculture is diversity and, you know, this, this conventional, you know, modern conventional approach to agriculture emphasizes monoculture, you know, growing one thing over large areas and concentrated amounts, you know, industrial scale, right? Yeah. So, you know, what, what does biodiversity mean to you and how does it relate to how you approach farming compared to the way some of your neighbors might approach it in our area? So I, to me, biodiversity is a concept, right? Like we, we've given it a word, it's, it's biodiversity. Mm-hmm. But it's really just looking at what does nature have? Like what is creation? Like where in creation 
is there just one plant? Just like to the exclusion of anything else, it's not. And even if you can say, oh, well, like look at a, look at a prairie. No, it's not just one. It's, it's thousands of different plants and animals. And you look in the ocean and everywhere we look on this earth, there is biodiversity because it's the way, you know, the way it is in nature is what makes the most sense. The way it is in nature is what works best. And that's, that's why it was designed that way. That's why it is that way. And so it doesn't make sense to me to do monoculture because even if you're trying, and I know that we have this idea that like, let's be the most like efficient and most production as possible and make the most money. But if in the long run you have depleted soil, even that doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. If you end up with depleted soil and food that has nothing in it and sick people and a sick planet, that's a short-term gain, long-term loss. And yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So it's not even like, a, yeah, I guess it's one of those things like it's not even, it's, it's how you have to do it. Like not even because it makes me feel good. It doesn't make sense even, or let's say, okay, through my generation, monoculture made sense. I, I, even if I didn't have kids, I, I, I don't want to give the next generation a world that's in worse shape mm-hmm. because then I wasn't being a good steward. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you, have you tried to have this conversation with, you know, folks in your area, like neighbors are, you know, also, you know, just friends or family. And, yeah. I'll have it with people. I won't, I, you know, most of the people right like in my immediate area actually there's 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 a there's a uh it's there's an organic dairy farmer so they already have the same principles right they're doing yeah. they're doing right by the land um and in in my specific area most people aren't doing agriculture um most people that are still on the farm they're they're beyond that or they're people that you know want to live in the country mm-hmm. but they're not farming um, but when I do have talks with people, so I, I try to keep it away from close to home because you want your neighbors to like you. You, yeah. you know, I don't want them to come and tell me your way's crazy. So I'm not going to go to them and tell them your way's bad. You're ruining the earth. Exactly. Um, just cause you want, especially in the country when you have to rely on your neighbors, like <laughs> I don't want to make my immediate neighbors <laughs> like everyone, everyone in, in, my, in my life, the way I think things is different than people. And so you already got, I already get enough people thinking like, oh, you're just kind of weird. Like, yeah. Um, but I Especially do. when your animals are getting out. Exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you're like, sorry, I'm chasing my, my sheep down the highway. Sorry. Um, right. Uh, but I think I do talk to people. What I've learned in life is that people aren't going to listen unless, unless it, unless it is important to them in that moment. And so on, on just on different topics, yeah. I've learned if a person brings it up to me, if a person has a problem and I can see how, hey, like, you know, eating right would fix it. I'll share it with them. Um, a lot of the times what it was like when I did farmer's market, um, you know, people would explain their problems and I would say, well, listen, like, you know, if you've got an autoimmune problem, eating, eating healthy, eating, you know, clean, because people don't people don't understand like they're not taught they have no grid for how important the food that they put in their body is for their body's health they just don't and so what about the food I I guess 
Oh, right, right. <laughs> I'm eating like I'm eating this. It's it's nutrient. It's good. It's it's good. I guess the the thing I, here. I guess here's a really good example. Um, back when all of the raw milk was being persecuted, and there was like this nationwide persecution of it. Um, a friend and I went out to Washington D.C. and um, it was called the Raw Milk Freedom Riders, and we were protesting the FDA and the persecution of farmers and, and of raw milk. And we had a rally, uh, a rally right in front of the, uh, the U.S. I think it was the USDA building. I can't remember. A big government building. And um, Michael Schmidt came down from Canada and Sally Fallon was there. And um, every, everybody was there, like the big movers and shakers in the, the raw milk world. And we're there. And I was kind of terrified. Um, we had to have our kids not be with us because we crossed state lines with milk and we were worried we could get arrested. So our kids were like in a remote location and then we all joined together and there was these people and I was worried, I was worried we were all going to get arrested, but we didn't. We just had to like keep moving every so often. But the thing that was, and I got to meet, like I got to sit in the car with Michael Schmidt and Sally Fell and I was like, this is incredible. But the thing that made the biggest impact on me that day was um, we're standing there giving out samples of raw milk and this guy walks by and he's like, what is this? Like, what is going on? Because it's all these mostly moms and kids. And I said, well, you know, we are, um, we're, this is why, this is what we're doing. And he's like, so you mean like these, he said, he said, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. And um, actually he hadn't drink, he hadn't drank milk in a long time. He's like, I don't agree with how animals are treated. So I don't take any products. I guess that like, is that vegan? Like he, he said, I don't take anything that came from an animal because I don't agree with how animals are treated. And I said, well, let me tell you where, where this milk came from. Like this milk came from a farm where their farmer is raising their animals and he is milking them. And the family, the whole family is milking them and the animals are cared for because by caring for the animals, it makes food that is good and healthy for people. Yeah. And I said, that's why we're here fighting for this. We're fighting against the industry that you hate that, that produces this food that kills people and makes people sick. Yeah. And he was like, he was so excited. He's like, now I can drink milk again. He's like, if I, now that I know there's milk out there that's raised by animals that are cared for well, he's like, I, I can drink milk again. He's like, give me some, thank you. Yeah. And so to me, that's the thing. When you can meet a person, you know, we all have needs. And when you can find a person and meet them at their need, they're willing to be teachable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, lo- I love that story because that, that gets exactly what I was hoping to talk more about. And that's just, you know, we, we talk a lot about in our Open Hearth PDC program about cultivating common ground to have these conversations. And, yeah. you know, and, and just just how important that is to to grow any sort of relationship with anybody or anything you know whether you're trying to grow a relationship with a place and the soil and the ecosystem or a person and culture and a community whatever it might be we we always come back to that theme and I think that story really speaks to that because I think you know my based on what I've perceived from a lot of people um there's, there's a rising trend towards veganism and, and you know, essentially demonizing uh, agriculture with, with animals and, and demonizing animals themselves for a variety of reasons. And I think there's, there's a, there is a common ground there that I think it's really important for us to really have a conversation on. And, 
there's a lot of things out there like documentaries, you know, shows, movies, books, things like that, that might not paint the full picture. And I'm wondering if you could speak more to that about that rising trend and and what, what isn't really being talked about that should. Well, and and I think, so I, it's interesting because I do, I do love that like the underbelly of our food system is being exposed yeah. I love that that is. I love that people are saying, oh my gosh, like turkeys aren't supposed to live like that. Or or even like, because there is, there's this rising movement of organic, right? And it's become a brand. And so we have immigrant workers living as slaves behind barbed wire mm-hmm. so we can have organic spinach. Yeah. And and I hope, I, I, I know that organic's rising. And I, so I hope that as organic rises, are things, the things that we're doing wrong, like having slave labor, I hope that gets exposed and, and before it becomes, before it gets any bigger. But, and I do hope that the, the conventional industrial thing gets exposed. I wish, I would like to see more because I, I, I and I, people can do whatever they want for me I guess I really enjoyed um, Temple Grandin. I can't remember um, what book or if it was a talk, but something she said really impressed me. And she said, you know, if we didn't use cows, if we didn't have a purpose for cows, they'd be extinct by now. Like We'd have killed them out. They'd be like a couple in a zoo or they'd be something we talk about in the museum if, yeah. if there wasn't a purpose for them. Yeah. And, um, and that really just impressed upon me that we – if we, animals can't, like I, I am an omnivore and they're a part of the system. And if you take animals out of the system, the system is broken because the system was designed to be plants and animals together. Yeah. And I have no problem if people want to, I don't have, whatever people want to do that brings them happiness and joy, that's great. I tried being a vegetarian and once upon a time before I understood that you can do things a different way. And by reading the books and by hearing the things, I was like, oh, no, like it's bad for my body to take meat in. And, and, you know, it's bad for the animals. And I tried being a vegetarian and I tried forcing it on everyone around me. And there was mutiny. It was like <laughs> this. I was putting TVP and soy and everything. Yeah. Um, but I was sick. I did not feel well. It did not suit me. It did not suit my body type. And the reality is like, let's look at it. Like, how good is TVP for the earth? Like, and mass manufacturing soybeans. Like that's, now I look back and I go, okay, that I was buying, you know, I was buying so tofu and soybeans and I, I was promoting something that was destroying the earth. And the hard part is we can't do anything on an industrial scale. Even, I don't think we can, I mean, to some extent organic can be like, I think like there's called like organic Valley and there's, there's different co-ops that do a good job. But if, if most American moms who are thinking they're doing good by their children are out shopping in you know, the large store chains and they're buying spinach that was being harvested by child labor. I, like, I have a friend who was child labor. Like, it's a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. And then, then it's a broken system still. And so I think the, the best way that I've seen – I guess would be like on a, on a, on a, on something, you know, I can do as a person, just interact with people, meet them at their need and talk. But I, I would love to see more documentaries on animals being raised 
you know, in a way that is good for the animal and is good for the earth and is good for the people. Yeah. Um, that because honestly, if we didn't have a use for those animals, it's like Temple Grandin said, where, where would they be? Yeah. Yeah. What I'm curious, what you'd say to somebody who might make the argument about, you know, you you had the comment about, you know, if if we didn't have cows here for milk or you know their products, they wouldn't be here. What would you say to somebody who is saying, well, that's that'd be a good thing because cows are causing global warming and climate change. <laughs> you know, I, I would say that, you know, I, I'm not super versed, so I'm not claiming to be an expert at all, but I know that once upon a time, there were a whole bunch of buffalo and a whole bunch of large ruminant animals, yes. like a lot of them, way yes. more than there are now, and they covered the land. And it was good. Like, you know, like it, it wasn't out of balance. It was good. Yeah. So I think if we, and I, and I don't just wait, if people want to believe something, the problem is if we, if we crucify something because we think it's the cause of it, if it's not really the cause, guess what? We still have the problem and now we've lost yeah. something. And so I think that no one should believe something that's out there. I always, if people are promoting something, I always look at who it is that's promoting it yeah. and what's their, what's their agenda? What's their motivation? Yeah. Why, why are they saying that? Yeah. Um, but like I said, Buffalo used to cover this continent mm-hmm. and there wasn't a problem of that. I think <laughs> the humans came in like, we're not the problem. We're fine. We're supposed to be on this earth. We're just supposed to take care of it correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's, that's what I, I like to, to, talk about too with people who might not understand a little more about that because I think that comes back to what you were talking about you know living in an urban environment and having lots of animals once you were able to be on a bigger uh, a plot of land it actually became a lot easier because you could move them around and spread that load right that yeah yeah energy and you know there's the the beauty of thinking about these huge mobs of bison and then now you know where where we live we drive by these huge buildings that are concentrated animal feed operations CAFOs right yeah and so I think that's that's a really strong place to have a common ground with people who are upset with the way animals are being treated and you and I are right there with them on that totally completely please get rid of it it's not right for the animals it's not like, we're not supposed to have huge vats of animal urine and animal excrement. That's now a toxic waste. Like, when the system is left alone the way it's designed to be, it becomes something beneficial. It becomes something that restores the land, not yeah. something that is toxic. Yeah. Like, and it's, destroying the water. It's, exactly. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, talking about, you know, how destructive something can be in a large amount, right? You you change this thing that is a benefit to a landscape and an ecosystem into something that's, you know, demonized as waste. Yeah. 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 And it is, and it's, yeah. And I know, I mean, some, somebody taught me a a really good phrase and it's not just in regard to that, but in anything, it's the dose, the dose is the poison, right? Like we need water, but it's, it's literally possible to die of drinking too much water. People Mm -hmm. have done like, and yeah, but to take something good and beneficial when in balance, it's a good and beneficial thing. Yeah. And, 
and to turn it into toxin. We've really done something wrong. And you're right. That's where we can, even if somebody doesn't agree that we have animals, we can say, okay, you don't agree on that. You do you, I do me, but let's agree that this over here is, is not good for anybody except for the people making money off of it. It's not good for the rest of us. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I I mean, it's incredible that story you shared about, you know, being in Washington and talking to the the guy about drinking milk and, and the way the animals are being raised and having that kind of beautiful moment to share that story. Um, and then you were talking about, you know, the spinach, the, the mom who's trying to do right by buying organic spinach at the grocery store. You know, if, if somebody like that is listening to this conversation, what would you say to them? What sort of steps could they take in the right direction? You know, the, I mean, you're never going to go wrong. If you know the person, if you can, if you can shake the hand of the person who raised your food, you're, you're, it's up. We can have like, you know, that, that spinach, right? There's government regulations there. It's organically grown. It's certified. It's everything. But like when I was working at the farmer's market, we weren't certified organic. Um, we weren't certified anything. And I'm not against, I, I get that. I get, I get that. I'm not against that. But like when people say, well, how do we know? Like, how do we know your stuff's raised? We would just say, well, come back and see you want to come like yeah. come some other day you can come and see how we do it see if you like it or not yeah. um and so i know that's not possible in everything like i love coconut oil i'm not gonna shake the farmer's hand in the philippines that's growing the coconut oil but i'm gonna in you know when i when i'm if i want to be deliberate with it i you know we all speak with our with our dollars we, that's that's we have a voice with every dollar we spend we have a voice and i get that it's hard and then i Get this convenience, and and I I do not walk like I I for a while there I was really working hard on on sourcing everything, and and then life gets busy. But I think to speaking to that mom, it's like do the best you can. And so we have a very short growing season here. There's no way you're gonna get. Well, actually, I guess you can. Spinach, spinach is one thing you could actually get in the winter here. Um, but try to do. I would encourage them to spend as much money getting the money directly into the farmer's hand as possible, because then they're supporting the local system, but more from us, uh, uh, you know, their point, what's best for them. They're getting the best food that they can in their body because I know they're trying to do right. I was that mom. I was that mom trying to do right. And and to realize I was supporting slavery. That's not okay by me. I am not, I'm not okay with that at all. Um, but I mean, sometimes I still, I, I get it. So like, we, we can't give ourselves a hard time because the system is so broken that, you know, to tell a mom, hey, I know you're busy, I know you're working, I know, or you're home, whatever it is that you're juggling all these things. Um, now you got to feel guilt for doing this. I don't want anybody to feel guilty right? because we shouldn't. And, and in the end, the system has to come down. And in, I think it, I, I, I do believe, I mean, there's all these people and, and I love the young single people, and all, but I think. In the end, money speaks and voice the loud. I think I think it's going to be have to be the moms looking out for their kids mm-hmm. that are going to have to topple the industrial food system mm-hmm. because they you, you just you don't you don't make a you, you don't hurt you don't mess with somebody's kid you know when when someone finds out their kid has ADHD their kid is dealing with autism dealing with diabetes dealing with all these autoimmune things. And that mom realizes that it's the food that they're putting in their child's body mm-hmm. and they're putting the food in their child's body that they think is good. And they've been told is good. And they realize that's what's damaging their child. Those moms are not happy no. and they will 
go to the end of the moon to get their child what their child needs. Yeah. And I think that's, I think, I just think from a big perspective, there's going to have to be the people out there, the farmers, right, providing the food. And I don't think it's going to happen overnight. But I do think, and I've told people, I think that, sadly, I think it's going to be the health of our children and the declining health of our children that's going to be the event that yeah. topples it. And we need to have farmers ready um, because I don't think it's going to happen in one big thing. I think it's going to happen little by little by little. Yeah. And we have to have food available. Or what are those moms going to do? They're going to know, you know, they're going to go to the grocery store. Okay, I can't give my kids this, but I need to feed my kids. Yeah. Um, and people have to be ready to support that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that because it's like how far are people willing to go, you know? Because I think a big part of this this conversation is also just like what we talked about before of like, we do just need more farmers too. We need more small scale farmers that are back connected to the land and and growing more and producing more for themselves, their family and taking responsibility for that because on those smaller scales, that's how we can have that connection and understand where it's coming from and support our neighbors and people in our, our region. Right. And, you know, for, for somebody that's you know shopping at a grocery store, it's it's not necessarily the best way to one get money in in the pocket of a farmer, like a local farmer, or you know one that's across the country, and and two, it's not the best way to to build these relationships and, and community resilience. So, what other alternatives can can parents do? Can moms do to to build these relationships directly with farmers and in a way that doesn't add that much more inconvenience to you know the the weekly or you know a couple times a month shopping i know for me um we 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 dealt with health issues from lyme disease that's what started me um on on this path of food uh i went to the local co-op my my husband was very sick i knew that um i was i was learning and i was learning and i was realizing that the food that was going in his body was important. And I was even being told, like, get him food. And so I took my weekly paycheck. I took our weekly food budget to the co-op. And don't get me wrong, I love co-ops. They're wonderful. But this was this was my experience in that moment. And, and, and it, with my budget, I took my weekly food allowance to the co-op. And I grabbed the, the, the kale and I grabbed all the great produce. Um, I didn't even make, I was in the produce department. And I was like, oh, I should probably start adding this up. And um, I spent 150% of what I had for the whole store, for everything we needed, and I hadn't left the produce aisle. <laughs> and I cried. I just, I put stuff back. I, I actually, I just, I just went outside and I cried because I was, I, I was like, I, I and, and I want to be able to feed my family and I can't. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to take care of my husband and I can't. Yeah. And what... What I ended up doing, I had to revolutionize everything. I had to realize that um, I put more time into sourcing food, but I was okay with it because it was what I needed to do. To, to you know, when you pay the farmer directly, you're not paying all those other things. And so, if you can find, you know, a CSA, find a farmer. Bulk. I I have a friend that really puts a lot of effort into doing a, a buying club. Um, and, you know, when you bulk buy, you're giving the farmer, you know, if a bunch of families buying, you know, you're not just going and buying five pounds of hamburger here and a steak there. But if, 
if you know if the farmer knows, hey, I'm going to this person's going to come back year after year and buy two cows, mm-hmm. then there's there's a financial um, uh, to solid foundation for yeah. farmer, and there's you know you don't have to think about it as much. You, it just takes some pre planning, like hey, I'm not going to run out and buy my meat. I'm going to save up and know that in the fall I'm going to I'm going to have to buy half a cow or buy a yeah. cow, and if if I can't buy a whole cow, I'll get a friend and we'll go together yeah. because you can get the food at a good price. But we also have to educate ourselves that it's a lie. Like the food we buy at the grocery store that we say is food and that we say is healthy, it's really not. Like if it's, a, if it's an apple, whatever, if it's a piece of fruit, if it's a vegetable, but the soil that it's grown in is depleted, that vegetable, it might not have, even if it's organic, it might not have bad stuff in it, but it's not going to have the good stuff in it. And so we as Americans are... Um, I work with clients that live in other parts of the country or other parts of the world and come here and they're like, you know, wow, like you guys don't spend as much on food at all. Yeah. Um, but it's because it's, it's what you're actually getting. And so there, there does have to be an enlightening and it doesn't have, you don't have to be an upper middle class mom to feed your kids good. It might be more convenient that way, but it's, it's reprioritizing and say, okay, this is what's important to me. This is what I'm willing to spend for my family's health. This is what I'm willing to spend knowing that I am creating my child's body. And if I put that money in now, they're not going to have to deal with heart disease and all these kind of things. Later, they're going to have a good, healthy body and a sound mind. And I value that yeah. above other things. Yeah. Um, so that's what, and, and I think there are, I know there's programs out there too that try and connect. Um, farmers with, you know, people that don't have, like farmers give their, Farmers give the excess. You know, you can only sell so much in a week if you if you grow extra because you, know, you grow extra not knowing what's going to be marketable because it's got to be pretty, right? Because we're Americans. It has to have a certain look. But I know farmers who take that stuff that doesn't sell or is too much and they take it to the food shelves. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a, that's a really wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, and I guess I would just tell them don't, don't despair because it can feel overwhelming. But what's at stake is your child. And, 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 and like I said, though, like for me and, and most of the moms I know that are passionate about food, it's because someone we love or ourselves got sick. Yeah. And when food heals that and you see it in your own life, it does, it's not about what studies say. When you see a loved one healed by eating good food, you're never going to change your mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was gonna say it's interesting that you brought that up about, um, you know, that when you when you see somebody in your life that you care about that's sick, right? I mean, it, it is really sad that that has to be the case with with a lot of things in life, and I think, you know, maybe that's that's a big part of this movement, you know, for people that are becoming more aware about you know the health of the earth and and the things that we're doing and the signs that are showing in the way that we're doing things, the way we're growing our food and um, different aspects of our culture that are helping people wake up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause we kind of have to like, it, it's it there. We're damaging the earth and there's going to be consequences for that. And I don't think it's the earth is pretty resilient it's creation's very resilient, but even if in the big picture, like 
one person's life can be really affected by being sick. One person's life can be really affected by an autoimmune condition or, or even ADHD or aut- autism. Like it, it, that person being educated either because there's a video on YouTube or some type of documentary or somebody who happens to run into them and is knowledgeable saying, Hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you look at food? And, and usually what I've tried to do for people is I don't like to, I can kind of come in strong and overwhelm people. And I realize that doesn't work. Like you no. kind of, they, they just lose it. So I, I don't, what I tell them is, Hey, why don't you try this? Here's some resources. Like, where do you live? Okay. Like here's some farmers in your area. Here's someone you can connect with. And, and just kind of ease them into it because, you know, if they're dealing with a sick child or a child that's got, they're, they're already overwhelmed. They're already tired and they already feel like they're failing. Yeah. Um, I've been there. That's, that's what you feel like. Yeah. But you just want to give them enough to give them hope and say, Hey, it doesn't have to be like this. You can, your life can be different. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can heal. And they don't have to have, they don't, they don't even have to care about the earth. Honestly, they don't have to care about the earth. They don't have to care about the environment. You just tell them about something they do care about. And that's their child's health. Yeah. Or their own health. Like when I did farmer's market, there was a woman and she made it, farmer's market's hard. And there's a lot of people that um, tried my patients. And sometimes I just got to the point where they're like, well, I can go to Walmart and get this pepper for 35 cents. <laughs> and I would just stay back. I was like, you should go to Walmart then and get the pepper for 35 cents because I don't want you having my pepper. Like I, was, I would rather go home with that pepper and give it to the pigs <laughs> than, <laughs> than have somebody sitting like tell me that. Actually, I mean, I do want that person to have it. I was like, no, fine, go to Walmart. I'm not going to try and talk you into it. Like yeah. go, go to Walmart. But to, there was a lady that came every week and bought a bunch of greens um, because she had rheumatoid arthritis, but she realized when she ate healthy, when she ate clean, she didn't have rheumatoid arthritis. And so she, she just, she just, it made, it brought me so much joy to be a part of growing the food that heals her body. Yeah. That, that tapped into a part of who I am and I didn't have to have a medical degree and I didn't have to go to school or have all these things. I just grew food. For somebody who knew it helped her body, and she was there every week to get it. And that made up for all the other idiot people. <laughs> I bet it did. Yeah. 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 But it's, it's hard to forget those, those things. They do stick with you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it gets discouraging. It's hard. Doing food the right way is hard. It, I mean, it is easy, but it's hard, too. It's not. There's a whole lot easier jobs out there that pay a whole lot more money. And have a lot more stability and security. And then when you tie in, when you're a farmer, most farmers farm on the land that they live in. And so you're not just, like, if you consider, like, throwing in the towel, like, the, t- the, day- the times that I have, because there are times. Mm-hmm. What makes it challenging is I'm not just folding a business. I'm losing my whole lifestyle. I'm losing my whole, like, my, my home. Um, as farmers, we're, it's all tied in together. Yeah. And that's... That's a challenge. That's, that's a big challenge. But it's also, I think that those of us who are called to it, those of us who are drawn to it, it's just, it fulfills a part of who we are and we don't feel whole and complete if we're not doing it. And that doesn't mean everybody has to say, oh, I have to go like sell my job and go, no. Like if it just fulfills you and all you have is a bay window and you want to just like grow aquaponics or like do aquaponics in your window or hydroponics, like 
just that's a huge part of a lot of us as, as human beings. I think that a lot of us are supposed to be connected with food because every human eats. And so people don't have to feel, I know for me, like when I, even before we had our house, we didn't have a yard. I felt like I, someday, you know, someday I'll do this. Someday I'll do that. And looking back, I wish I had just embraced where I was at that moment and gotten involved. Even if I lived in, I didn't, but I mean, if I lived in a park with no windows, nothing like, go find a way to connect with animals, go find a way to connect with plants, go find a way to connect with food because they're out there. Shoot. Like go find a farmer and say, Hey, can I help you? They're going to be like, yes, please, (laughs) please. Thank you. Thank you for showing up. Um, because I don't think everybody's called to be producers. Um, but everybody eats. It's part of who we are. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's, yeah, maybe take it one step further. It's like not everybody's called to be producers of, food but I think you know just like the lessons that you're teaching your kids you know having animals takes work Uh, you know we're all consuming things you know and it's our responsibility to understand those things and and to take responsibility for you know producing something to account for that right 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 and 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 take our money and give it back to give it back to somebody who's doing it right Exactly. Because everybody wins in that scenario, right? Like that person's going to keep on producing it and they're getting paid for their livelihood. Exactly. And you're getting healthy, good food that makes your body happy and makes it healthy. Yeah. That's a, that's a total win-win. Yep. Mutually beneficial relationships. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, on that note, you know, there's the permaculture principle of obtaining yield. And I just want to ask you, uh, what's one thing you'd like people listening to yield or harvest from our conversation today? Oh, wow. Um, I think that I would like people to know that they have power. I think so often we feel powerless and we feel overwhelmed and we feel like the issues are way bigger than us and we're too busy. We've got so much going on. But each of us is powerful in that we can choose where we spend our money. Um, And we can choose what we eat. Like we can choose what we put in our body and what system that goes to. Because it's either going to a system that heals the land and fixes the land or it's going to a system that breaks it. And even saying that, I'm not saying that people should feel guilty. I honestly think that people should just do the best they can and that they, I mean, really on a small thing, I'd love it. I'd love it if people just go out and interact with nature, interact with animals, interact with plants because we're also stressed and we're also crazy. And wherever that means, whether in the country or in the city, just, I would love to encourage the people just, it grounds us and it brings us back to center and it gets rid of the craziness. So just, I tell people like, just go, literally just go touch a plant, touch an animal and um, just soak in that, not in a weird way, just like, just let it calm them and let it ground them and, and just feel the peace that comes with that. Yeah. Beautiful. So what's next for you and your work? What's on your mind and heart right now? Oh, wow. Um, so right now, I'm loving the fact that I have perennial crops because we're dealing with medical issues and I'm having to carry our business. And so 
Um, I don't know. I don't know this next year if I'm going to be able to get my cuttings out. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I love the fact that even though I don't know all my plants are in the ground dormant and sleeping and whatever I decide they're going to do their thing. And I just need, I just need to stay out of the way and let them do their thing. Um, and I am, there's been a lot of challenges um, in life. And there's a lot of challenges even since being at the farm, but I, I have come to have confidence that I believe I was put there. And I believe that I'm there to take care of a part of the earth. And I can't fix all of the problems in the world. And some days I feel like I can't even fix my own problems, but I can walk out that part. Like I am competent and I am capable to walk out caring for the little piece of earth that I'm, that I'm in charge of. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at. Mm. <laughs> and some days that's, I guess that's why I encouraged other people to do it. Some days if life is stressful, I just, I just go in and actually just like sit with the sheep or I let the horses cuddle me or I take a hug from the dog. Um, <laughs> Cause that's like, that's truly like, you know, we all have our things that bring us peace. And, but yeah. I've realized that that is something that is, is essential to me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of taking it a day at a time. Mm. And, um, but I, I'm, I'm thankful that I, as much as I hate the long winter, I do kind of love the fact that like for my crops, they're in the ground, they're safe. I don't have to worry about them and they will just do their thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Um, I just, I, I, I want to thank you for doing this podcast and for doing what you do. I think it's a wonderful thing. Just your, your and Megan's the, your manners, like who you are and your character. Um, I thank you for doing it and thank you for sharing with people. I think that there, I think I'm, I'm really, I guess I want to say to all the, um, you know, there's people of every age out there getting into this. And Mm -hmm. I am so excited to see what the millennials do. Um, because you know, like it's kind of like the millennials have been presented with, here you go, here's a dying broken system and in a world that's really messed up. Like have fun with it. Um, but I really, to see people your age who are, um, are embracing it and, And just moving forward, I guess what I would say to everybody out there is like, go for it, go, yeah. go for it because you got to eat. The system's not going to fix itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, just, just go for it and have confidence that you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's up to every generation to rise to the occasion, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that generations that are given large challenges can, I mean, you could just like live a whole hum existence, but like, boy, the next generation has a lot that they're given. And with the technology that exists right now, um, even though I'm not a huge technology person at the same time, like the, I'm excited. I am actually excited for what's going to happen and, and what type of breakthroughs are going to happen and, and how people are going to have like something that's on my, like I, I think every person should have access to clean water. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have high hopes that that's going to happen in this next generation, that everybody in the world will have access to clean water and even closer to home, that, that things are going to be solved using technology, but not like in a, in a high tech way, but using technology in a, in a low tech way. I'm sure there's words for that, but I just, 
I have this hope that things are going to be solved with these amazingly simple, wonderful, beautiful answers. Um, and I'm excited to see what people come up with. Yeah, yeah, we're seeing that more and more. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I just want to say thank you so much for your kind words and spending this time with me and, and the audience here. Um, how can folks learn more about your work and help support you, Natasha? Oh, um, so I am not good at social media at all. My children are in charge of it, but apparently somewhere along the line, they discovered Instagram and Snapchat <laughs> and they kind of <laughs> left their social media posts. I do have, I have a website. Um, sometime this winter, I need to update it. It's um, regenerationacres.com. And uh, that's the website. It's primarily the website for my nursery. But my hope is that this winter before spring breaks out, um, and especially I'm going to have some, some time that I'm down for a few weeks, that I will get it updated. But that's where people can go. And they can also, if they want to, really there's not a lot of information on the site. But if they, if they want to connect um, on the site, it has my uh, email address. And they can reach out to me by email or by phone. Yes. And um, they can talk to me because I don't know a lot about a lot about stuff. But the stuff I know about, I enjoy sharing with other people. And I know elderberries. Um, <laughs> And apparently that's, that's becoming a thing. Like, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, so if anybody ever has any questions, I'm more than happy to share what I know. Well, thank you so much, Natasha. You, you've been an incredible asset to our Open Hearth PDC program and just getting to know you and your family has been really inspiring and nourishing for us too. So really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Cody. Likewise. All right. Well, you take care. All right. You too. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more like it, you can do three simple things right now. One, you can subscribe to Permaculture Freedom Podcast if you haven't yet. Number two, you can leave a short review for us on iTunes. And third, share this episode with a person in your life you think would enjoy it too. Thank you. I really appreciate your support. Until next time, take care, my friend.